Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Keep Lefty program with Victorian Labor College. In the studio is uh, John John Lafferty. Morning, everybody. Uh, Kim Doyle. Morning, everyone. And myself, Chris Gaffney. Now, who's going to start off? I think it's... I think it's me. Mm-hmm. Uh, as people may remember, last year the Latrobe Valley went through a horrific disaster and it started on the 9th of February with the cold fire that broke out in a disused part um, of an open-cut mine not far from the Hazel power plant and burnt for 45 days. But that's not the end of it. Um, people were poisoned on an industrial scale and on the evidence available, there have been dozens of people that have probably died as a result. And so far, the authorities have not bothered to investigate. But the state Labor government has now promised to reopen an investigation next month. Uh, but this has taken a huge fight from the residents of the Latrobe Valley. Now, Morewell, uh, which was the site of the fire uh, mainly, is one of the poorest towns in Australia. And according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, uh, Morewell ranks in the bottom 10% of socioeconomic advantage. Poor people are expendable and they're less likely to be litigious because they have less money. And that's why companies and the government have no problems with dumping their toxic rubbish in these communities, uh, just as they do with Aboriginal communities and nuclear waste. So even though these, this is despite the fact that these working class communities have for decades dug the coal, fired the power stations and actually supplied uh, most of the electricity that the whole state of Victoria uses. And without them, there would be no profits to the rich um, going through Collins Street and the rest of it. It would be cut off in an instant. If these no single word would, wheel would turn as the song has it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> And there's been a new book out by um, Tom uh, uh, Dogon, I'm sure I'm pronouncing his name wrong, so I apologise for that, called The Cold Face, and it tells uh, the shocking story of what of the events that happened after the fire began. Uh, this is, I won't be able to cover it, but this is not the first time that such a fire has broken out in the area. Um, and he tells of what unfolded, um, which was caused by years of corporate neglect, so a small fire, the source of which uh, people are still not, not sure, um, ignited a disused northern wall of the coal mine uh, near the Hazelwood Power Plant. And the CFA firefighter, um, Doug um, Stegley, described it, and I quote, um, Imagine, as far as you can see, the ground itself is burning. The trees are still there, but the earth underneath the trees is burning. It fills the horizon. It's all you can see. The whole hill is on fire. Now, Doig details how a network, network of rotating water sprays was laid over the exposed faces of the mine, and this mine, and this used to be standard practice from when uh, the mine was first worked in the 1960s. So on hot days, this network of water would be switched on to prevent any potential fires from spreading or even starting in the first place. But remember that the market always does everything better. 
The market always knows better. <laughs> so, as the Victorian State Electricity Commission, which probably a lot of listeners will remember when that was government run, uh, when that was run down, this network of pipes and sprinklers was first allowed to deteriorate. And then in 1994, the requirement to maintain it was gotten rid of altogether. And the new owners, International Power, apparently ripped out the pipes and, according to the workers there, sold it for scrap. Now, this is all a part of the Kennett government's 1996 privatisation of the State Electricity Commission of Victoria. And Kennett claimed that the commission was laden with debt and needed to be sold off. But in fact, um, in the last year of its operation, it paid $995 million in interest, $191 million dividend to the state government and a profit of $207 million. And now this isn't really the point, but it shows that they're just talking rubbish. And Kennett claimed that with the bloated state-run commission in private hands, the delivery of electricity would be better and cheaper. So you <laughs> just remember yes. that next time you open your bill. <laughs> Uh, but the cost of privatisation of power is not only being paid out of our pockets, it's also being paid uh, from our health and also from destruction to the environment. And this is the thing that the market really excels at, and I would argue that what it excels at is creating disasters. And Victoria's Latrobe Valley um, is a prime example of that. Now, coal fires are not anything like an ordinary bushfire. For the 45 days of hell for Latrobe Valley residents, um, a huge plume of ash, gas and toxic chemicals um, was spewing across communities. Now, Doig records um, the backyard chickens that dropped dead as ash smothered Morwell. He also records um, uh, the household, a household dog that started bleeding from its paws and then every cavity of its body. Uh, he records children um, who were asthmatic, which is already there's already in incredibly high rates of asthma uh, for children in these areas. Uh, but children who became so um, badly asthmatic that they were coughing until they were sick. And throughout the valley, people were noticing that everyone was sick. So all of a sudden, there seems to be a lot of people dying. Uh, now, many people... Um, well, how many people is a question that I think authorities really need to answer, although they are reluctant to. But the activist group Voices of the Valley uh, wrote to birth, marriage, deaths and marriages asking for the numbers of people who had, who had died during the period. And they took so long to answer that the activists decided to do their own research. And they looked through the obituary columns from the local newspaper, the Latrobe Valley Express, and found that on average during March, 64 residents of the Latrobe Valley um, die. This is sort of normally, um, which sounds quite high to me. But um, <coughs> but last March, this rose to 91 people, a jump of nearly 50%. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean anything on its own because death certificates can be... Uh, sorry, death statistics can be tricky to interpret because there, if there's a long heat wave, for instance, that will affect mm -hmm. the amount of people, especially elderly people who die. But taking this into account, a much more detailed analysis by health statistician Adrian Barnett shows that at least 11 excessive deaths or excess deaths during February and March last year and the spike in deaths um, continues through to June when the authorities said that the fire was safe. Now the Valley residents uh, didn't take this lying down and there were rallies and angry town hall meetings and I was lucky to be at one of the meetings on March the 2nd as a reporter for Red Flag and I got to march with the residents and they were incredibly brave and mm. also incredibly sick. 
Some of them were really just covered in sweat and it wasn't hot and just struggling to breathe with every step. But they still marched. And I felt a little bit like a wimp because after spending one day there, I ended up the next day in hospital (laughs) because apparently um, people who are slightly anemic don't respond well to carbon monoxide in the atmosphere, although I can't really think of anyone who does. Right, right. It's not a problem in Turek. No, no. And it was it was very strange going there because I fell asleep on the way in the car and I woke up and it felt like my throat... Well, I woke up because it felt like my throat was on fire. Oh. And the level of pollution I haven't felt since I was in Dhaka, which is in Bangladesh. It's one of the right. most polluted cities in the world. Um, and my throat didn't hurt that much there. But it's really um, the informal organising committee for the rallies, Voices of the Valley, um, who've managed to get some results from the protests, health surveys, media coverage, and eventually an electoral campaign that they organised that came within a handful of votes of unseating a long-time National Party uh, leader. Um, But as Labor was trying to, you know, possibly get the seat, they ended up um, promising numerous times, this is the federal Labor leader, Mm. Daniel Andrews, that they would reopen the inquiry into the mine. Um, to look at the impacts on health. So just a few days after the book was launched, and apparently um, Tom Doig sent a copy to Daniel Andrews, uh, the new state government announced uh, that it would be reopening the uh, inquiry in May. So hopefully there will be some sort of account at least of of the health hazards that this has caused and possibly the deaths that it's caused. They might even make the owners responsible. Mm, yes, well, Less I can only hope. Less the amount of money that, that they make out of this mine is just absolutely criminal, and I think they only ended up shutting it down for 24 hours during this fire. Mm. How long did that go on for Kim? I remember it was quite a while. I think it was 45 days. Mm. So it's quite a long time. A lot, lot of inaction in that time oh, from the people. Certainly. Well, it was well, as you point out, it's in a working-class town, so mm. who cares? Exactly. It was ridiculous that actually it was one of the members of... Socialist Alternative, who's from, uh, who's who's from Latrobe Valley, and her family still live there. Uh, it was actually her and Red Flag that initially sort of broke the story, which is absolutely ludicrous that a small left wing paper would be breaking that. It should be news mm. everywhere. Yeah, the Herald Sun could, should perhaps do it instead of having yeah, front page. You know, like ten pages on Richie Benno. Mm, I think that it's like yeah. So they hadn't been reporting it properly, mm. which is. Richie Bennell, who, according to one uh, cricketing legend, was close to a messiah. Close to what? Close to a messiah. That was a quote. I think it was, I'm not sure, it was Doug Walters or one of them. Some, a cricket fan can correct me, but said that Richie Bennell was close to a messiah. How do you get close to messiah? Is that by, like, standing adjacent? Oh, you mean, oh, he was like a messiah-like? Yes. Almost. Really? No, I must have Almost missed that. Almost like. missed that. So there you go. Anyway, John, but, um, what do you got to tell us? Yeah, look, uh, uh, thanks for that, Kim. Uh, look, a lot has already been said about the uh, Woolworths ad, and I'm hoping I could uh, get something fresh out of it. Anyway. Uh, in this advert, uh, the supermarket chain asked people to upload pics of Anzacs to go alongside the slogan, Fresh in Our Memories. This uh, slogan, Fresh in Our Memories, was intended to trigger the Woolworths jingle, Woolworths, the fresh food people. Woolworths, incidentally, is a very, very big company, and this will be relevant later on in this little piece. It's a very big Australian company in, in this part of the Australian Woolworths. It makes $34 billion per year revenue. Gee. 
On Wednesday, the media was awash with expressions of outrage and fury. Another word used was vile. Well, it's hardly a new thing for a supermarket chain to put out a vile ad campaign. For about five years, status quo have been playing plastic guitars and singing Down, Down, Prices Are Down to the tune of the 1975 hit on a cold advert. That too is vile. Can I just say I'm going to be using quite a few slogans in this. Beware. <laughs> and don't rush out and buy stuff okay. in cold. Yes, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not advertising here. I'm not... No. Go on. But... Um, Woolworths linking the bloodbath of World War I to their quest to make more money is in many ways, I think, appropriate. World War I and, in fact, all the other capitalist adventures were and are largely about protecting and extending markets, and the previous program speaks quite well about this, protecting and extending markets for the likes of these big companies to make ever, ever greater profits. The song asks, war, what is it good for? And replies, absolutely nothing. That's not true. War's good for business. I suspect the bosses of the big supermarket chains like Woolworths know this. It's just this time their plan is backfired and the, and the trend, the advertising company I was reading, responsible, uh, who were responsible for it, their plan is backfired because... There was the outrage, there was the fury, and then out came the federal government in a contrived fit of political correctness designed to protect the word. It's the word, Anzac, and they put a stop to the campaign. The Minister for Veterans Affairs is a very slow and <coughs> tedious man, and I think he wears, a, he wears a bad wig, or it might be a toupee. I can't remember the guy's name, I don't really care. Uh, he, he bemoaned misuse of the word, Anzac. That's really the big deal he was making. And he also mentioned a possible $50,000 possible $50,000 fine for companies who break the rules. I'll be interested. I mean, even if they, they won't. That but $50,000 fine for a company which makes $34 billion revenue last year. Mm. They will lose that in, in a short term, I believe, though, uh, Woolworths. Um, over this drop campaign, you know, the cost of that and the flash advertising gurus that came up with it. And they'll also lose somewhere in, in goodwill. But I believe it will be a short-term problem. Woolworths PR people, you know, in the, in the immediate aftermath of all this uh, outrage and fury, they tried to patch things up. Uh, I thought this was kind of amusing in a sick way. They bragged about how much they gave to the RSL. Well, even if giving to the RSL was a good thing, if you give and then you brag about it, it kind of defeats the purpose of actually giving in the, in the first place. It seems to me that the real damage being expressed by the minister, though, and people like the minister, is really the outrage at seeing the official Anzac story being challenged. It's rarely mentioned why Australia went to war in 1914. It's simply repeated over and over again that it was a noble sacrifice which, through the massive spilling of blood, helped to forge, and it's always forge, a nation. Lest we forget those brave men, they must be kept fresh in our memories, as Woolworths would have it. Now, I don't want to upset people. The loss of life was absolutely tragic, an absolute tragedy as it is in just about every war. It's even more tragic because it was totally unnecessary. I think that's maybe what we should remember, so we don't repeat it. The problem is that we do repeat it. All this 
controversy is taking place in the very week the same federal government is sending even more soldiers to Iraq with little reason given for this. In order to get young people to march off to yet another futile war, there must be some carrots offered. Compared to many jobs, the army can provide a fairly high pay and pensions. Conditions aren't necessarily as attractive. But the like chance, getting killed. Like getting maimed or killed permanently, yeah. Well, maimed permanently or killed. But the chance to win, win medals and be referred to as a hero, which we hear constantly, can be very enticing. And of course, as is always the story, it's not the children of the rich who need to go. It's largely working class youth who have so few good choices in life who often get sucked into the army option. We don't have conscription, which is a good thing, but still, the buck talks. Who needs it the most? Well, in America, in America, uh, uh, an incredibly proportionate number of blacks Mm. go into the army because it's the only career, if you call it a career. I've heard, I think it was on one of the documentaries by Michael Moore, this poor kid saying, oh, I really wish that I could afford to go and get an education without Mm. risking my life. Mm. And these recruiters stand in supermarkets where they Mm. know poor people will be. Yeah, well, that's right. You know, it's like the recruitment people, they've always done this. I mean, it used to be, I was just about to say, it used to be a lot cruder. You know, they're having to become more sophisticated. In the Western world, we're, we're constantly at war. We have professional armies. We don't have conscription. So they've got to be pretty clever. But still, they're getting the same people. It's still the poor, the working class who they're going to largely pick up. Well, I mean, the, the officer class is a bit different, no? But the, the mythology also is, which is endlessly repeating, that somehow the sacrifices put mm. of Gallipoli it was designed to guarantee Australian freedoms, mm. to guarantee Australian democracy, to BS, guarantee that... big time BS. Well, it's, yes. it's complete nonsense. <laughs> yeah. the, the First World War had nothing to do with ordinary people's liberty or any rights whatsoever. We f- it we were- was to protect... The British Empire, which felt threatened by a newly emergent German imperialism. That's what it was about, full stop. And Australia entered the First World War, as the Labour Prime Minister said at the at the time, uh, Fisher, said that we will fight for the British Empire to the last man and, and the, the last, last shilling. shilling. That's what it's about, and mm. that's what it is about today. Mm. Yes, it's about markets. It's about, you know, opening them up and, and, and keeping them there, you know, safe from German or whichever else, Chinese, Russian, whichever else incursion. I mean, Australia was federated in 1901. Really, the first war we were involved in as an independent nation was the Boer War. Yes, that's right. But there's not much glory. Well, there's not much glory in the First World War, but I mean, it's very hard to argue that the Boer War was anything other than a thoroughly imperialist war, hanging on to a big chunk of gold and diamonds. Well, it, they they quite uh, they quite the Anzac disaster, and it was a disaster prompted by Minister of War Churchill, that somehow this established Australia as a nation. Yes, I mean. How, why would they pick on an event which was clearly had nothing to do with Australia's interest? What was our interest in being in Turkey? Tell me, for it's, be, sake. it's because of the massive spilling of blood per, per head of population. Australia had a very high percentage of guys mm. that 60, actually 000. died. 60, yeah, dead. it's a very high percentage compared to the popul- uh, of the population. Yes, you know, yes. so it's, it's it's this idea that. 
blood must be spilled in order for the nation to be forged. It's all these metaphors, and you see these words repeated but this is and repeated and repeated. Rubbish. You know, yes. This is blood, birth, yeah. iron, will. This that's precious right. drivel. It's right. also yeah. rubbish that it unified the nation. Like in 1917, there was a general strike, which is probably totally the closest it. we ever came to a revolution. Yeah, in we were divided on class lines. We were divided, but I'll get to that in a minute. I've just and got three more the, paragraphs. The, the, the two uh, plebiscites, which. Uh, we're defeated. Yes. Hmm. Anyway, okay, I've got just a few more paragraphs. Well, we'll be re- yeah. I'll be repeating some stuff there. The Anzac jingoism, as I see it, is largely aimed at providing an appetite for new wars. And there are plenty of new wars. Armed forces must recruit, and their recruitment campaigns need to become more sophisticated. We, they used to be very, very crude. Be a man. Nevertheless, get yourself killed in Vietnam. (laughs) Nevertheless, these young folk could be fighting class war instead of bosses' war from 1915 to 2015, and still they say we must fight their wars for their for the freedom for democracy for whose freedom for whose democracy? Peace between nations, war between classes. That's a slogan. That's a nice one. (laughs) Just to finish up, apparently one company has a sacred right to use the word Anzac commercially because that's what the minister was speaking about, is the, yeah, yeah. the right to use this word Anzac commercially. Unfortunately, covered by this. Yeah, it's, it's only the word Anzac, not yeah, Gallipoli. Yeah, yeah, Anzac commercially. The, what, the company that can use it is the Anzac biscuit manufacturer. Oh, I quite like Anzac biscuits. This used to be an Australian company, Arnott's, but some time back, I think it was about 15 or so years ago, Arnott's was bought out by the American giant Campbell's. That's practicism for you. In a sense, this too is appropriate. As with our armed forces, our Anzac biscuits are now owned by the Americans. Yes, well, well, good point. Facetious? Yes, good point. No, good point. Well, the other thing is, uh, if we want to go to to learn about democracy, well, of course, we should go to America, which, as you know, is uh, democracy writ large. And we've also heard that... uh, Former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton has announced her candidacy for the Democrats. Now, uh, there are some people who imagine that the Democrats are sort of like our Labour Party. Well, they are in a way, in the sense that they and the Democrats are pro-capitalist parties and the distinctions between the Democrats and the Republicans, well, you can see fairly clearly that uh, if you're opposed to war, why would you have voted for Obama, who seems to have launched more wars than Bush ever got round to? Well, what will hold over the next 19 months is an absolute travesty of democracy. The financial American financial aristocracy will select the two big business party candidates using its vast wealth and control of the media. Of course, you need a staggering amount of money to, to be a viable presidential candidate. By one estimate, Hillary Clinton will raise and spend, talk about wasted money, between $1.5 billion and $2 billion in primary and general election campaigns, twice the amount that Obama and Romney spent in 2012. To raise these sums, all presidents or potential presidents must pass through a screening process that involves a few thousand billionaires and near-billionaires. According to a report in the Washington Post last week, so-called bundlers, who play a vital role in earlier campaigns, by donating donor checks into bundles toting $100,000 more, more. This is regarded as rubbish. Now, the donations are 100000 more because the candidates are going to the billionaires like the mm. Koch brothers, Sheldon Adelson and George Soros and getting far larger things. So, in other words, they're being directly financed 
by the super, super duper rich. And Obama did that more than McCain back in 2008. Well, that's right. Well, it's, it's part of the same process. The financial oligarchy, therefore, clearly and openly selects the best candidates. Mm-hmm. A protest process now refers to as the invisible primary. That is, it's not actually <laughs> official, but in fact... You get approval by the billionaires before you can do anything. Well, it's an absolute sham of a democracy because what is it in America? Every election it has been the candidate who has the most money who has won. Is it really? Is it really? Well, given that only 46% of the people actually vote. Yeah. Because most people, I think, instinctively realise there's no difference between the two major parties. the, the financial elite wants to know those who can best shake off external pressures, who can ignore public opinion and do the beating of their corporate masters. They're the qualifications they're looking for. Those in ever- selected are in- invariably right-wing, reliable defenders of corporate America, like Clinton. Usually themselves, they're millionaires or multi-millionaires. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> In fact, the Republican Party has moved so far to the right that Jeb Bush, even the name gives you a clue. Jeb Bush. Jeb Bush, who's vigorously attacked public education <laughs> and supported the ultra-right campaign over the comatess Terry Schiavo, where there was this terminally sick person who had no hope ever, ever recovering. Their relatives wanted to turn off the machine. All these right-wingers got behind it on, on the basis of right to life. Or right to an agonising life is really what they meant. Uh, so Jeb Bush is now considered um, is now considered a moderate. Jeb Bush is now considered a moderate these days. Those based primarily on the ultra right Tea Party and Christian fundamentalist groups, including Cruz, who provoked a partial shutdown of the federal government in two thousand and thirteen. Another one is Rand Paul, who recently called for wait for this one hundred and ninety billion dollars increase in military spending. Rand Paul, not Ron Paul. No, Rand Paul. No relation to Ron Paul, who was a bit of a weird candidate. Uh, I know the bloke you mean. I'm I'm a bit confused about that, to be honest. Uh, But anyway, he's called for what is clearly necessary, a $190 billion increase in military spending. Oh, yes. No, they need that. Well, they're, they're, in, that. They're, in, they're in the terrible stretch. There's danger of them being unprotected. That's right. Yemen. That's right. Attack uh, um, on the Democratic side, Clinton's the favourite, with the full backing of both the party establishment and Wall Street, and of the trade unions, yeah. which plan to spend several hundred million dollars squeezed out of their members to elect a Democratic president under the illusion that somehow this would be better for Labour. There's not the slightest shred of evidence. Well, that's the the main similarity with our Labour Party is the the union... um, That's right. While the American media, media, itself owned by giant corporations or billionaires like Murdoch, they'll portray the 2016 presidential exercise uh, as an exercise in democracy. Mm. The US political system can be more accurately described paraphrasing Abraham Lincoln as government of the billionaires, for the billionaires, by the billionaires. It's a horse race. There's little, no correl- there's little or no correlation between the political sentiments of the working people who constitute the vast mass of the American population and the policies advocated by the Democratic and the Republican Party. In every opinion poll taken so far, um, the American people show uh, support Sharp increases in taxes on the wealthy to fund social programs, to provide jobs for the unemployed, 
They oppose cuts in Social Security and Medicare and view education, health care and other public services as basic rights, which of course they should. They oppose government spying on the telephone and internet usage of ordinary Americans as well as other police state measures. And they oppose overseas military interventions in the Middle East, Africa and Asia. Now, who will they vote for in this coming election? Who will they vote no, for? No choice. No one. So Hillary Clinton, the big H, she's portraying herself as the voice of the people. Well, of course, of course, of course. The electoral I, process effectively excludes any candidate who will challenge the capitalist system. She's not the voice of the people. <laughs> you know she's You're not. breaking your illusions. <laughs> I'm sorry. To stop, stop, oh, I'm sorry. Stop, he's breaking down. This. Well, after Obama, I'm going to have my heart broken again. T- tens of millions of working people support measures that could only be achieved through a struggle for socialism. To look to this farce of so-called American democracy to solve anything is ridiculous. That's why Marxists refer to democracy in Australia and America as bourgeois democracy. That is the appearance of democracy. We all get the vote. Mr. Well, Mr. Murdoch doesn't get a vote now because he's an American citizen. But the chairman of BHP gets a vote. An Aboriginal woman living in Whoop Whoop in Northern Territory. Equality. Equality gets mm. a vote too. So as yeah, you can see, they're both equal. Well, and they both have Murdoch. an equal say in the running of the country. Yeah, we say Murdoch doesn't get a vote here, but it's a pilgrimage. Every time there's a prime minister elected in Australia, they go to like, yes, New York or whatever right. to go talk to well, well, you, you don't need a vote when you can put out drivel like the Australian uh, every day. Well, I've noticed that when an Australian prime minister gets elected, the first thing he does is rush over to Washington. Well, I believe right. for in- instructions. Abbott went to Washington and London. Because well, he comes from London. Shorten's been there too, and uh, yeah. Rudd was a great fan. Well, when the plane went down in Ukraine, Shorten made a very suspicious visit to Washington, which uh, just for a few days, it seemed to me to be very unexplained, and then ca- came back with all that rhetoric. There are many signs, however, of growing popular disaffection from declining voter turnout, now down to nearly only 40%, mm. to widespread support for courageous opponents of the emerging police state, such as Edward Snowden, and Chelsea Manning. Also, the outbreak of strikes, which are never reported here, despite the efforts of the trade union leaderships, and also the wave of protest by black people over police murders, where the police are murdering something like a 1,000 black people a year. Um, but, you know, back in Ronald Reagan's time, I remember figures of people who actually voted for Reagan was like 20-something percent. So they can get in with a very small... Well, that's right. That's right. Because most the the people who don't vote, of course, are usually the poor. The 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 vote are the poor, the blacks, and there are many state governments enact provisions to ensure that black people find it difficult or nearly impossible to get registered, much less vote. Gone are the days when they actually physically excluded them by having troops on the the electoral ballot. But the same principle applies. So any any looking to America as a model of democracy mm. is absolutely ludicrous and belies the facts. Yeah. Do you get to vote if you're in jail? Because that's the other thing. No, you don't. No, 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 you don't. Which means three thousand, three million people yeah. are disenfranchised in I think America. If you if you're in jail, you have got a criminal record for a certain length of time because it's different. That's right, states felony. If you're convicted of a felony, which you know. is generally refers to see more serious offences. Also, it's very although much stealing a dollar is a felony. Stealing they, is a felony. They've got that yeah. three strikes. Out thing too. That's right. I know Clinton brought that in, that Bill Clinton, but it's, and speaking of that, the, uh, it seems to be coming down very, very much to countries like uh, Philippines or India where you have these very, very powerful families 
keep cropping up. You know, the Bush, the Clinton. You know, these guys have been around for a long, long time. And yes. it's the son or the brother or the wife. No. Well, that's right. That's right. That's right. And says, all right, people, that's what, we all, what we've got to say today. When we... The people of the working class actually stand up for our rights. That's right. Yeah. That's then right. why are you why We're, are you creating this class, class war? war? It didn't exist without it's this. Been Thirty That's years right. of class war. We've just been losing. <laughs> That's well, right. Well, exactly. I suppose, I suppose they don't mind if people fight over cricket or footy or some other. No, no, now. no. Diversions. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, that's, that's oh, that's right. Or weep, weep t- tears of blood over Richie Benno. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I suppose he was what? a wonderful cricket, and it's sad to see. He's passing by the, uh, the end of no, the year. No, it's not. He's 84. Oh. He had a good run with bloody cricket. A fire, you know, the two-inch column heart, would be more than enough. The two-inch column would have been more than enough for me. But, well, his, his family rejected the state's funeral. And I sort of like did a little bit of research, for me a little bit, mm-hmm. um, on as to why they actually rejected the state funeral. Does anyone know? I was don't know it, who was he it, is, so I'm... I Benno? Okay. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's ludicrous. I mean, when a cricketer gets... Do you know why the family rejected, Do you know why the family rejected it, Bill? Don't know. Does anyone don't know? Care. Don't know, don't, don't care. care. Well, sport is a part of life. It's a part of culture, as is TV. Well, Are you going to tell us or not? <laughs> yeah, that's... No, I don't know. No, <laughs> oh, no, no, okay. no, no, it's not a trick. Uh, I don't know. I was, I was really genuinely wondering, though. Well, well, I, well, I think sport now is just a business, isn't it? Of course, it's big business. Yeah, and, and, yes, but we can of- we can have ownership of it. You know, I mean, look, art and music under capitalism is all about market, is all about business. That doesn't mean it's well, largely. That doesn't mean to say that art and music there's anything wrong with it. Mm. I love sport, we I love art, and, and I love music. Mm? But we we need to have ownership of art, well, sport, and music. There was a lot of amateur. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.